Welcome to Prim and Prosper. I'm Elizabeth Hathaway. And I'm Marinella Mazzucato. Well, Marinella, after it took us, I think, 18 takes to do our very first episode, I really thought we were on a roll. We were recording them, publishing them. Last week, I even said to you after we recorded, I think we're ready to add in some audio in the intro and outro. We got so excited. We were about to level up our game. And then we ran into a bit of a snafu. Yeah, I don't know uh, how sending the file, something we've been doing repeatedly, uh, became an issue. So we're just going to do this again. And hopefully it's like when you used to blow into the Nintendo cartridge and it magically resolved itself. Yes. That's how I feel that maybe this will go. I'll just do what I've been doing and that's just suddenly going to work. Oh man, that was a That's real that was a real life '90s struggle blowing into the cartridge to get your game going on Nintendo. Um, well, yeah, it, it wasn't just the sending of the file. Let let us not forget that I somehow had the wrong um, audio outputs, and I also recorded your voice on my end of the track. So it was it was really both of us managing to not do anything right last week. Yeah, the technology got us again. But you know what? We said from the get-go, that's why we started with the concept of imperfection or perfection, whichever way you want to look at that uh, quarter, coin, two sides of the coin, uh, that you're going to run into hurdles in life and it really is about how you, you know, handle them. So we, we got a little tripped up, but we're we're back. We're hopping this hurdle and hopefully going to finish out the race. Is that yes, a good metaphor? a strong recovery. Does that work? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so this week, we want to talk about identity. We mentioned it a bit in our last episode, which was Dear 20-Year-Old Self. I think we both really like the idea of talking about identity in a little more in-depth discussion. So I thought to kick us off, uh, we could start with what do you feel or what do you think makes up someone's identity? Like what attributes, what components make up an identity? Good question. And I think one of the benefits of not having recorded the last episode, I actually thought more about it. <laughs> and f- I guess originally I thought an identity was like your titles of like who you are, based on things that you do but now i'm kind of thinking that that's more of like an external thing like identity is probably who you are to yourself like nobody else involved Mm. whereas like i used to think of it more as like your roles were your identity interesting like this internal identity versus external identity so i think along a similar line where historically I've seen identity as kind of being a very narrow description of who you are so often like what it is you do for work comes to mind or if you're a mother or father that's like another identity that comes to mind but I don't know that I've always thought of it in a more complex way and I think it should be. I really think identity should be com- you know, complex. It should be your personality, your likes, your dislikes, your roles, your values, um, 
your occupation, but also your hobbies or other areas of interest for you. So, you know, because I, I worry, at least for myself, and I think I see this in others as well, when your identity is just one or two things, if you aren't doing well in those areas for some reason, like your identity is your job and maybe you're let go because of whatever reasons, how does that impact your self-worth or your value, right? Like if, if your sole identity is that one thing and then you quote unquote fail at that thing, what does that say about you, right? So I do think it should be much more complex than a simple one item, two item external way someone might describe you. Yeah, I agree. And also like you can tailor yourself to create an identity that's not probably you. Like, oh, I want to be all of these things and you have to really like work towards it maybe. And it might not necessarily be like the best version of you. And I find myself doing that a lot where I'm like, oh, I want to be this and I'm going to make myself be it, and that's going to be my identity, and I'll go through different rounds of that. I'm kind of like, I guess if you were, like, I try to maybe shift a lot my identity, hmm. if, if I could describe it. Like, I'll, I'll change my identity up periodically based on those roles and those things, but that's not what I ideally want to be doing. I want that to be solid no matter what I'm doing or you know, just find the real things that matter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like your true, authentic self type of a thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think identity can evolve, right? Like how I saw myself as a kid is not necessarily how I want to see myself now at 37. Um, but I still think, to your point, there should be some core components to who you are that are probably steadfast, that aren't things that would just change on a whim because of, you know, uh, outward circumstances, like just because I move or just because I change companies that I work for, like my identity shouldn't, shouldn't shift or change for those reasons. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's a mistake that myself and probably a lot of people have made thinking that that's like something that you can tailor so easily when it's really just, you know, who you are Mm -hmm. and you got to embrace that. Yeah. So why don't we maybe in talking about how we see ourselves and our own identities, maybe we start when we were younger thinking about it then and then kind of bring ourselves up to present day and where we're at with it now. Uh, I can kick us off a bit. So I used to think very, when I was a child, and I'm thinking like elementary school and middle school, I feel like the identities that resonated with me were student. And it was important to be a good student. I was a perfectionist. I wanted to have all A's um, and that was like a standard I self-imposed not something that I got from my parents really I mean I'm sure they were supportive of me being a great student don't get me wrong but they weren't like parents who pressured me into it I didn't have a lot of parental pressure in that regard it was all self-imposed the other I feel like big identity I had and this was more in elementary school 
that I struggled with it, but it was only child. I was an only child. I still am an only child, but I really wanted a sibling. Like everyone I knew had a sibling. I just felt very different and not in a good way. Like I was missing out on something. Um, So much so, I shared this last week when we were recording, that when I met our mutual friend, Ashley, I was about nine years old at the time I totally lied to her and told her I had a brother I think I said his name was Jake and then when she asked me where he lived because she had been to my house and seen that I clearly didn't have like a bedroom where my brother would live I told her he lived in the crawl space this is Florida so like you don't have attics or basements so I was like he lived in the crawl space and she was like yeah about that (laughs) I'm pretty sure she saw through it and even as I tell this story, there's like a certain level of embarrassment that I would lie about such a thing. But I'm also amazed that she continued to be my friend. <laughs> like, I'm kind of lucky. I don't know that I would have been my friend <laughs> if the roles were reversed. So yeah, those were the identities I had when I was younger. And I would say that you know, neither of them because I'm no longer a student, although I think you can continue to learn and value things like education and growth. So I would say that maybe holds true, but not the the typical student role. Um, and then my only child identity I've evolved on. I don't hate it as much. It's who I am. I'm fine with it. I mean kudos to ashley she probably thought she really needed to stick around just to see like she's like what else is this chick gonna tell me you know what kind of what kind of other stories are down the line that i gotta find out about but totally. yeah you know i had a I had a brother um i don't know that i would have made one up i probably i mean i spent a lot of time with him so as a kid i guess my identities were definitely sister you know we were really close um so much so that most people like throughout you know, my school years were always, you know, referring to me first as Anthony's sister, and then maybe they'd find out my name, you know what I mean? But I was very much Anthony's sister, which I didn't mind so much. I still kind of like, you know, that's fine with me to be identified as a sister, no big deal. But for myself, I, I think I embraced being an artist a lot as a kid, and an athlete. And those are probably two of the things that I still kind of like see in myself that have actually carried through. Nice. Yeah, I would say I didn't start getting much complexity to my identity until probably, I mean, maybe even college. I don't feel like I had a very, yeah, I I just think even in high school, I didn't see other facets of my identity, Uh, which is interesting because I was an athlete. I was a student athlete, and I I don't know that I would have ever really described myself that way, despite the fact that I played sports, Um, which is kind of strange, but yeah, that's just the reality. I would say almost now I identify more with athletic things. Like I consider myself... um, I don't use the term yogi, but I do consider myself a yoga person, even though I am really a novice. I only started my practice over um, the COVID pandemic, but I would still consider that to be part of who I am. I do do yoga most mornings, and I, I think that's an important part of my identity, especially because I feel 
better on the days that I do it, even if I don't do any sort of aggressive or, um, you know, difficult practice, even if it's just a real easy one, uh, it always makes me feel better. And I just feel more, I don't know, this sounds cheesy to say, but like aligned or just grounded. Um, so it's interesting. I, I identify that more now than I did back then. Yeah. And I wouldn't, I would identify myself as athletic and build. I'll, I'll say that. I don't want to confuse anybody and be like, oh, she's athletic. But I think I'm inclined to enjoy like sports or moving my body and stuff like that. And that's always held true. Like I don't feel well unless I'm doing some kind of physical activity regularly. Um, I tried yoga too and I really liked it. I don't know why I stopped. Maybe because um, I think maybe it was when I started with when I got Marley. She really gets in the way of it actually. (laughs) yeah she's like all up in my business when i'm doing it and it's like i can't really juggle the two i don't know what it was but she just was like we're playing now this is strange walter does marley's my dog (laughs) (laughs) walter does get a bit of my way as well he's he's gotten better about it i usually have to just kind of roll him off the mat um, and he does kind of just roll off the mat and then lays in whatever position I roll him onto the ground with. Um, but yeah, I also just want to echo that I don't necessarily have an athletic body. Uh, but you know, hearing you say that, it's it's interesting because why does someone who identifies as an athlete have to have quote unquote uh, typical athletic body or what like we deem as an athletic body it's almost part of why I like ESPN's the body issue where they take pictures of different body types and they usually get athletes in different sports and you can kind of see so like you might have a sumo wrestler and a swimmer and a gymnast and you can tell how like the type the body structure that does exceptionally well in those sports to get to like the elite level of your sport is very different right like a female gymnast would not do well in sumo wrestling or playing you know on the NFL offensive line uh but the same could be said uh vice versa that an NFL offensive lineman would not probably be able to do a flip in the air so yes we've got that we know of that we know of let's (laughs) (laughs) we've got this like standard of what athletic bodies should look like but it's kind of bs right like i think you could totally be an athlete without having quote unquote the athletic body yeah and that kind of goes back to like my first thought of like you know your identity is more on the internal than it is like on the external forces so like i I feel like an athlete doesn't mean that i you know everyone thinks that i'm an athlete yeah, for sure. So at this point in my life, I think I already said in this podcast, I'm 37. Um, I'm, I'm not necessarily looking to have children. That's that's not something I want. I'm not 100% against it, but that's where I stand at the moment. Uh, but I do find myself kind of at that age where I people have – have stopped a little bit asking when I'm going to have kids. That used to probably be a question of two to three years ago I would get more frequently. 
now people have laid off of it a bit. I think, though, there's this expectation in society that if you're a woman, you know, you perhaps go to college and get a career because it's a little more acceptable to focus on those things first. But then after you have your career started, the expectation is you get married and you start having a family. And I just don't identify with that path of life. Uh, And so many people do, though, because I I definitely get that question of, you know, you're going to have kids, you're still planning to, you're getting old, that biological clock is ticking away. And uh, in, in response to them, I feel like I need to have some quippy, like, you know, retort back, but really it should just be acceptable that not every woman wants to have children and be a mother. Why is that like an identity that's so forced upon women in our society? Yeah, you almost feel guilty saying it or like less feminine or something because you don't want it or, you know, or you don't want it so bad. Like, uh, Like for me, I would say... Obviously, it's going to take some effort for me to have a baby, and it's going to have to be medically. Right. Uh, uh, unless, you know, some man blows my mind eventually. I'm waiting for the day, if that's possible. <laughs> um, I doubt it. And then I can just change my whole mind on this lesbianism. Please, <laughs> God. Um, but it's just, I guess, for me, if it happens, or if I happen to want it, then then it's just a lighter decision to me than like having to be so sure about doing it and pressuring yourself to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I want to touch base on, so I, f- I feel like if you aren't a mother in society, there's these other terms for women that have these negative connotations, and I don't really think that they should, but one of them is spinster, and I was watching, so I watched it this weekend after we recorded the very first uh, take on Identity, and I had to chuckle to myself because I forgot that he says it in the movie, but the movie is Bridget Jones' Diary. I don't know if you've seen it before. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's one of my all-time favorite movies, and it's a, like a modernization of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, and I love all of Jane Austen's books. Um, But Mr. Darcy, Colin Firth, right? Like he's obviously, the whole concept is they're both prideful and they both have their prejudices, right? And so when he meets Renee Zellweger's character, um, Bridget Jones at the beginning at like their family's little holiday get together, he comments to his mom and Bridget overhears them and he's like, she's a spinster. And I was like, oh, how dare you, Mr. Darcy, call her a spinster? I feel like it's not a term commonly used now, although maybe it's more common in British jargon. I'm more obviously Americans. I don't really know British jargon that well. But this concept of spinster still exists in our society. And I think a modern day term is like cat lady, you know, like you're the mm-hmm. single woman with a cat. And it has a stupid negative connotation. Why, again, I don't expect you to have an answer, but I'd love your thoughts anyways. Why is it that women are frowned upon and given these negative names if they choose not to have children or to marry, but there's no 
term for men who are unmarried and without child. Yeah, I think the only term that they have is like bachelor. And that seems like, you know, like, ooh, like a fun thing. You know what I mean? Like, ooh, he's a bachelor, you know, but. He gets a TV show on ABC. (laughs) Yeah, like it's more like a privilege. Like he gets to be single. Whereas if it's a woman, it's like, poor thing. She's single. I mean, I've experienced some of that recently where it's like, I got out of a long-term relationship. It was hard. It's still hard, so I'm taking my time, and I'm not necessarily looking to go throw myself at anybody. Like, I'm just not interested. Like, I don't I don't want to look. I'm just not ready for it. I'm very trying. I guess I'm trying to work on me, and a lot of my friends are like, any new love interests, and I'm just like, you know, love interest is a bit strong for me right now. I'm going to be, my love interest currently is myself, and that's not a joke, <laughs> but you know, that's like kind of the answer that you, you give and you kind of feel like, um, I feel kind of like defective telling people this, but that's the reality of it. Like, I can't see myself right now wanting to get involved with somebody and there's nothing wrong with it, but you kind of are made to feel like I should be, I should be looking for somebody. Time is, is ticking. Right, that you're less than for not, and that, yeah, time is against you. Agreed. And it's interesting because I've certainly, I've probably asked you about dating life before, and I know I've asked other women. I think there is, this is my impression, be interested in yours. I think there's a difference when you're close friends with someone and you're just checking in on them and, and it's a conversation you have versus like a snide kind of comment or maybe you aren't that close and it feels a bit intrusive to the person or even if you are close you constantly bring it up even though you've heard them you know give their explanation and and you understand where they're at you have to bring it up the next time you see them again like that those things I find become problematic like I don't mind a close friend having a heartfelt conversation with me about my dating life it's when yeah it's when it's one of those other things and it makes me feel bad about myself yeah when it gets to be a little too pushy like they're trying to push that identity on you like come on just do it you know like how many times can I bring it up before you finally cave and just like tell me the good news you know like ugh. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I find that is true with people that I'm like either not as close with anymore or very no very casually and they have this impression about who I am based on the past like a lot of friends that I have that I don't I guess talk to as much that I had for my 20s kind of still see me as like this womanizer type person that they thought I was then when I wasn't even that then Mm -hmm. so it's like let that go because it's gone (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's another interesting identity, too, is if you're, quote unquote, a promiscuous woman, you get labeled with terms like womanizer or slut. I say womanizer for lesbians. I don't know that a lot of heterosexual. Yeah, Yeah. man eater. That's exactly it. Yep. Um, Slut, you know, all those types of terms, whereas, again, if a man typically is, quote unquote, promiscuous at that age it's like 
he's an alpha male or, you know, he's a top dog or like, what are some of the other terms? They're always, you know, positive terms for men. Yet for women, it's all you should be ashamed of yourself. Yeah, maybe the most, maybe the worst they can say is that a guy is like a player, but that's still a compliment. Right, because it's like, they're like, whoa. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. It's like, it's not really that bad of a term. Yeah, it's it's such a double standard. And I, I mean, I know that this will be a recurring theme where we point out all the double standards in society. But as far as like identities for women and these, you know, that's a classic one to me. Being in mm-hmm. your 20s and look, people enjoy sex. Nothing wrong with it. Have as many partners as you like. Be consensual. You know, get consent, folks. Uh, but I, I just, yeah, it upsets me. Because I definitely used to have that inner dialogue in college and in my 20s of, you know, what, what, at what point do I think I cross over into the slut zone? And I'm like, what is this question? At 37, I reflect back and wonder why I asked myself that. But it was a very real thought in my mind in my 20s. Like, man, I haven't had very long-term serious relationships except for my one in college at that point like am i a slut (laughs) it's horrible that i were you i don't know yeah (laughs) i didn't sleep with you (laughs) you did not so there's there's one that you didn't get oh i was a player i was a player that's what i was that's right Um, so I touched on my answer a bit to this already. I'm still going to pose it just in case we have any other thoughts on it. But why do you think identity is important? I think identity is important because it attracts you to the, the people that are meant to be in your life, the things that you're meant to do. Uh, it gets you like close to wherever, you know, the things that you dream of your goals like if you don't have that kind of nailed down just you know just the the basics of your identity you're kind of just going to be floating around being like waiting for something to happen to you so it's like a sense of it can help give you a sense of purpose and meaning and and provide some drive perhaps in your life i agree with that i also think on the the flip side to that is your identity can be a source of self-worth and value and a reason why I suggest to have a more complex identity because if you have if you're if you just identify as one thing like mother or you know lawyer teacher whatever and then that one thing doesn't go well for some reason you know, there goes potentially your whole self-worth and value. And so I think you should see yourself in a more complex way. And therefore, when one little piece is not going well, you still see the rest of the puzzle and realize like you're much more, you know, you're much more valuable than that one thing. Yeah. And I like that you put it that way, more complex. Because like, say you're a mother and a wife, and uh, a hairdresser and you're in a room with another mother that's a wife that's a hairdresser like what are the things that set you apart from that person it can't just be that you know what I mean like oftentimes it is like that's all you show to people but like what more 
is there that's more you, you know? Agreed. Um, and even mother and wife, I find an interesting, you know, this is completely an outsider's perspective since I'm not married and I don't have children, but often I find with my friends that once they start having children, they identify more with being a parent than necessarily their relationship. And I know statistically speaking, oh, <laughs> the classic car horn that uh, never doesn't exist in an episode of Prim and Prosper. Uh, but what I was going to say was um, they identify more with being the parent and then statistically a lot of parents will divorce when their children kind of come into adulthood. That's like a very, um, I don't want to say the word popular time, but that's, I guess, kind of what I mean. It's like a very common time for people to get divorced is, you know, after their kids grow up. And I think it's because they become so rooted in that identity of being a parent that, that once that identity is gone, they forget how to be in a relationship because they've kind of let that part of their identity go some yeah and I think that's I mean that's unfortunate because it's like you you got married you decided to have kids and create this life and then at the like then they're gone and then it's like oh now what did we do it all for you know what I mean for it to not work out but I guess just things happen naturally like that but yeah it's important I think to like divide your time to these things that you identify with don't be so like heavy on one thing I know like my mother was like 100% in the game as a mom I don't really remember them having a lot of them time or anything like that or even probably now is probably the most that she's spent time with my father and and maybe she's now like re-exploring who she is now now that I mean, we're much older, but as an Italian mom, they hold on till, <laughs> till ho- however long you let them. So the more that I've done my own personal like um, stuff, the more that she's kind of had to be like, oh my gosh, you know, I've got to back off, I, and but now I have to figure out who I am, and that's pretty scary for her too. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think you do go through those stages in life, and I do think a big one for parents is that point when their kids have grown up and it's uh, like wait who am I and yeah you I I'm echoing what you said I know but I think you do have to foster those other parts of your identity you know being a mother might be primary and I get it especially if you have young children they require much more time and attention Um, but as they age and be you know get a little more independent you know they get into older elementary school middle school high school you should be, I think, reconnecting if you lost track and also just spending more time fostering those other components of your identity. So it maybe doesn't feel like such a shock when your child leaves and you're this empty nester, you know, that you've kind of started to prepare um, and also just Again, I go back to that example I gave that when one of those pieces of the puzzle then leaves or is gone, you still have all the other pieces there. Yeah, and also the, um, I guess when the pieces, one of the pieces does go missing, there are things that you can kind of do to try to remember, you know, like who you were. And I know you were mentioning that when we recorded this episode before, 
that there's benefit in asking like your closest friends or your family like hey what is it about me that you know makes me me can you give me a little reminder yeah I think that that's a good place to start for if people are having trouble you know with who they are and are, are having that difficulty seeing themselves in a more complex way I think sometimes an outside perspective could be helpful and your closest friends and family especially if they're people you trust and who have your best interest in mind I think they can be a good source of information for you and, and they can provide your perspective that you don't have of yourself um, I also would suggest to do some self, uh, shameless self-promotion to listen to our episode on self-discovery because I think mm-hmm. that can also help get you to a place of you know finding out what makes you you and the things that you enjoy so yeah shameless self-plug there Agreed, and uh, I would second that shameless plug um, and suggest spending some time alone, too. Like, you know, just that undivided attention to yourself can kind of bring back some of those things. Like, what are some of the lesser-known identities that are... Like, just me asking you, what are some of the like lesser known things that you identify with that people don't necessarily know just by you know knowing you for a year or so or knowing you from work one thing although most people may learn this about me pretty quickly but I really enjoy solitude uh I am someone I've realized that this is not very common but I am somebody who can sit without watching tv without reading a book without having like quote unquote a form of entertainment around and I can just sit with my thoughts and not necessarily be bored um I know could I do that for like eight hours no but I really enjoy solitude especially in the morning I've kind of hinted at this I think in past episodes like my favorite time of the day in Chicago is early morning because it's really quiet in a city that's usually pretty bustling so like that that little bit of peace and silence um, gets me to like a nice spot of solitude. Like I will just sit on my couch with my morning coffee and just kind of be with my thoughts. Uh, And I love that. And I think that that is a big part of who I am. I'm also an introvert, which I think most people probably pick that up. But sometimes I don't because I'm I'm comfortable socializing. So I, I, I think a lot of people will assume when they meet me that I'm extroverted, but I'm I'm definitely not. Like I like and not just like need my alone time to like recharge and rejuvenate. I'll think about other ways that you know, my identity that that other people may not pick up on immediately, but I'm going to throw the question back at you while I think on that. Uh well, I think that I feel like I'm a bit of an introvert but at the same time like I like to be around people I might not be interacting with them but I like the feeling of having people around so like me being alone with my thoughts quietly in my apartment is actually a thing that I try not to do for some reason it, do- it doesn't energize me but if I like go out and get a cup of coffee and stroll around and see people like in a crowded street like that's kind of like me feeling like okay you know 
there is a community around me. There are people doing things. I'm doing some of the same things, but I don't have to be interacting with them. And that's kind of like my sweet spot. Hmm. And then another identity for me is like, I really like to cook. Um, I kind of, I don't want to say that I stopped cooking because I didn't think that I, you know, needed to spend the time on it. But I really thought, oh, this is kind of like a waste of time. But now that I'm like living by myself, I really enjoy like making a meal for myself, making, you know, things from scratch and just like kind of just doing something extra nice for myself like that. Yeah, I enjoy cooking too. It can be really, there is a certain like therapeutic nature to it. I think because it's like you're working with your hands and it's engaging like your sense of smell and of course your sense of taste. And I don't know, it like engages all the senses in a way that I find really enjoyable. And then I like the process of, like you said, taking something ingredients from scratch and then by the end of it you've like transformed it into some sort of a dish that's hopefully delicious I've had a couple kitchen failures in my day but for the most part things turn out pretty good um I think there's something very satisfying and rewarding about the experience of cooking and I also enjoy it and would consider it part of my identity yeah and actually that might be a time where I am quiet and alone with my thoughts that and sometimes driving sometimes I I don't drive with music and I'm just in the quiet and I'm just like, this is probably the only time that it's going to be quiet for me. The other, um, I don't, I guess I might consider this part of my identity. I was thinking, I do, I do this, I don't know, maybe once every few weeks, but if I have, especially if I have like a Friday or Saturday night alone, I do typically like read a book or watch a movie, but also at some point in the night, I usually break out into a dance in my apartment by myself. Uh, I am not a dancer. But here's the thing, right? I guess maybe I should identify as a dancer. I enjoy dancing just because I'm not professionally trained and no one would look at me and say, man, she should tour with Britney Spears. Uh, does not mean I'm not a dancer, right? If I enjoy the activity and partake in it pretty regularly. So maybe I should embrace that part of myself because that is something that most people I don't think know about me. Even you, who I know has known me for a very long time, probably did not yeah. know. I mean, I've seen, I mean, I think we've all been pretty tipsy dancing and like bars and stuff, but um, yeah, it's been a while. I would say that you should dance like nobody's watching. I mean, I, t- I, Just... mean, I do shut my blinds so that no one <laughs> can watch me. <laughs> I live on a busy street. I don't need people peering in at my bad dance moves. But I do, yeah, I enjoy dancing. There's something about, again, I think it's, um, it's just like freeing to move your body the way you want to and I think music can be very powerful like whatever mood you're in music can you can find music that amplifies that um like oftentimes I will not have like be able to describe how I'm feeling but I can find a song that kind of like describes how I'm feeling even though I don't have the words for it if that makes sense yeah I I usually gravitate towards music without words. And honestly, like, I 
used to be very into music and I and I feel like it's like it's something that's declining and I don't know why maybe just because I'm just so like distracted I can't even like give myself the patience to listen to music but that's why I think I like music without words is just like okay there's a little less thinking involved in this for some reason but I'm also like known to love like those rom-com movies or like Hallmark movies which people probably never would think about me you know because of my you know like I'm, I'm quick and witty so they probably think that you know I'd be more into like crime stuff which I like that stuff but like when, when I really want to like feel like comfortable and good I'm like oh I think I'm gonna watch the Titanic <laughs> so uh have you watched Love Actually yet this season yes <laughs> I love it <laughs> it's okay I mean I have I always I will watch Love Actually at some point um, and as I mentioned earlier in this episode Bridget Jones Diary is one of my favorites as well so I get the rom-com I do I understand it I see you I feel you yeah and I've been known to watch uh, the Gilmore Girls which Ooh. is probably a shock to many people but that it just is gets actually... me in the feels. It's something about that Connecticut. I'm like, yeah, that is that's that Connecticut feel. You know, being from Connecticut, that's that's the feel that I wanted living in Connecticut that we never got. And I was like, yeah, that's what I wanted. <laughs> I get it. I do get that. Ooh, I will say back to your comment on listening to music without words. It's actually something. If I'm doing admin work, um, like I'm not on a call or something. I love playing uh, just instrumental background. So I usually will pick, honestly, just like a YouTube channel, like a coffee shop jazz or a, you know, mm. autumn focus music. I just like type keywords and see what comes up. I also will listen to, at some point, I personally do not roll it out until after Thanksgiving, but I will listen to the Nutcracker Ballet the entirety like the entire album probably 10 to 15 times uh this year i don't know if i even would know it if i heard it so maybe i need to check it out i mean i like i like christmasy things i like to also enjoy the thanksgiving time first like that's the category of my life where i'm like it's not run right into christmas like i got the tree out of the storage but it's not assembled Hmm. I see. So you're kind of in phase one of Christmas decorating where you just bring stuff out of storage, but it stays in like the box in the apartment. I'm thinking about it, but I'm not ready to show it, you know, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm just a hard like the day after Thanksgiving is when I can start rolling anything Christmas out. And but then when when I do, it's like Pandora's box of Christmas stuff. It it floods out. A lot. I always find it crazy when there's like those families that like get the tree like the day of or the day before and I'm like this this is crazy you didn't get to enjoy it I know I don't get it either I think after Christmas or after Thanksgiving excuse me that gives you like a month you know to to be in the Christmas season but you've then given November to preparing for Thanksgiving mm. yeah you know well, any final thoughts on finding your identity or identity in general? Um, I think it takes 
some self-work to actually find what your actual identity is sometimes. I know it's a lot of hard work for me. I know it's a lot of trial and error and like kind of letting go of some of the things that I thought I identified with. And um, I mean, the closer you get to those things, the true things, I think the happier you're going to be. That's how I feel. How about you? Yeah, I don't know if I have much more to add. That was very well well said. I do think it takes a lot of work, um, but I do think you can leverage other resources like your friends, your family, people that love you to give you feedback and maybe at least help you start to think about different areas. Um, I know I've said this before, but I also think therapy can be a good option if you feel like you're struggling with aspects of identity, like what's my purpose and meaning, because I know that can go really dark and heavy for some people. So that could be a, a place where therapy could be beneficial. Um, and, and again, I think all of this is works in progress, right? It's never, it's not like you ask yourself this question and you come up with the answer and you're set for life. That's not how any of life works and certainly not with identity. So be patient with yourself. You know, these are ongoing discussions. So yeah. I guess on that note, we will catch you next time. Take care, everyone.